Amen. Good morning. Glad you're here. So I, I owe you a little bit of an apology. The carpet's not changed. I know many of you walked in thinking, yes, new carpet. And you're like, mm, it's still here. Tuesday, it's going to happen Tuesday. There was a little bit of a mix-up in communication and planning. Uh, and so Tuesday it starts uh, in the afternoon and it'll be done before next Sunday. But did you notice the foyer? So the cool thing about the foyer is the flooring that's in the foyer actually continues into the almost completed children's wing, which you are more than encouraged. And hopefully you will go and see what is happening down there. It is phenomenal. It looks so good. And I'm glad you're here. It's good to be in church, is it not? Again, there's a billion other places you could be. Maybe not a billion, but a lot. But you chose to get up this morning and you're here and you chose on your own. Hopefully you're not here filling in that obligatory, I got to go to church on Sunday feeling. Hopefully it's turning into something more than that. Hopefully it's becoming, this is where I want to be. I look forward all week long to be here because this is a great place to be. It's a safe place to be. And it's a place where we get to experience God and hopefully carry him throughout the week. Amen. And so last week, we had a wonderful Easter service. We looked at the resurrection of Christ and all the great things that come with that, especially the joy that is instilled in us because of his resurrection. And before we go back into Matthew, I want to head into John. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be today. It's a great passage. It's literally one of my favorite passages. It's kind of an after story before we get into the book of Acts, which by the way, when we finish Matthew, hopefully in the next few months, we're going to jump right into what happens in Acts, and we're going to go through the book of Acts. So we went, took three years for the book of Matthew, so consider probably until I retire, we'll probably be in the book of Acts. But it's been good. We just pick it apart and see what does God have for us in this session? What is he, what is he doing in their culture and in their time frame that we can adopt and to take into our own lives and change? And chapter 21 for me of the book of John is such a powerful, powerful message and lesson for me. You may not get a thing out of it, but this chapter has been so good for me uh, in, in challenging me and how I walk, especially when things just don't go as planned. Guarantee you, if we were able to take the time and you were courageous enough to come up here and, and share, you could share a story or a lifetime of stories of things not going as planned. I have a whole plethora of them. I've shared most of them with you, not all of them, but I have a lot of stories that I thought life was going to go this way and naturally it takes a right-hand turn or a left-hand turn or goes in a totally different direction that I was not planning on it going. And what do we do when that happens? Well, most of us get mad. Most of us get upset. We blame God. We blame everybody else. And the reality is sometimes life's just stinky. Life's just hard. And instead of blaming everybody else, I have nothing to do with it. Maybe we should just accept the fact that life's just a hard life. It's just hard. It's difficult. It's different. It's going to throw you some curveballs. And then other times we get all depressed. And I'm not attacking those that have depression and legitimately are fighting it. But sometimes we put ourselves in an attitude of depression that is really unhealthy and we don't need to be there. Again, I'm not, not going after the clinical side of things. I'm going after those moments where we know as believers that have joy in our lives that we get sucker punched by something and we wallow there. 
Amen? Come on, don't, don't make me feel like I'm being mean here. But the reality is that's where we all live. That's, that's where we're at. And what I want to share with you this morning is we're going to look at these disciples and that's exactly what's happened to them. Their best friend of three years, their rabbi, their main guy that's teaching them and showing them some fantastic miracles, amazing teachings. He's dead and he rose again and he showed up at least twice already to them. But what are they to do? He's not hanging out with him like he was. He's not leading them around like he was. So what are they going to do? You ever feel like that? God, you saved me. You put me in this place. You have brought me miles away from my homeland. You brought me away from all my friends and you've plopped me in this place and I feel alone. Now what? I would imagine that's what the disciples felt in a big way. Their whole life was about fishing to begin with. He took them from there or they chose to leave that. He gave them an amazing life and now that's gone. Life wasn't going as they had planned. It was a little different. And they didn't know what to do. Let's go to John chapter 21. We're going to go in three different sections. I know you're thinking we're going to do the whole chapter. Yes, we are. I had all week off, and so you're going to pay for it. (laughs) After these things, in John chapter 21, verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way, he showed himself. So John, after he kind of completes his book, he comes back with this extra chapter because it was just so important. Simon Peter, in verse 2, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. Now, this is the same Simon Peter that Jesus looked at him and said, you are the guy I'm going to build my church on. You are the guy I'm going to use to reach a lot of people. And now Jesus died, rose again, has shown up a couple of times, and now Peter is back home in Galilee, by the way, where he was told to go by Jesus to wait. And he says, well, I'm going fishing. It's what I know. It's what I'm comfortable doing. It's the only thing that's going to provide for me at this point. And so I can't just sit around and wait forever. I need to do what I know that I can do. They say to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. These are avid fishermen, by the way. They know how to fish. They know what they're doing. But they go out, they fish all night long, and nothing hops in their nets. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus says to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, I'm sure, like, no. Right? Fishing all night, they're frustrated, they're tired, they're exhausted, and they're disappointed. They were hoping for fish. Nothing. And he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw in uh, it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, anytime you see that little, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's always talking about himself. He never refers to himself in his own book. He never says John. He always refers to himself around the idea of the disciple whom Jesus loved, which may be a little 
poke at the other disciples, I'm not sure, but probably not. And so this John says to Peter, it's the Lord. John quickly recognizes in the midst of this unknown in the midst of the plans that weren't going the way that they thought they were supposed to go, they go back to what they know they can do and should do. And in that moment, in the meantime, guess what happens? John, who has been probably blown away by all of these scenarios, not sure what to do, he immediately recognizes his Lord because of what this man on the beach said to them and what had happened from it. There are times in our life where we get in these spots that are dark, that are kind of off, and we are wondering, where's God, where's God, where's God? Well, the reality is he's probably speaking, we're just not recognizing him. Because he's always at work. That was extra, that really wasn't part of this, but. Verse 8 Oh, I'm sorry. Let me finish verse 7. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. This dude, they're not far off from the, the, the shore, but he didn't even wait. This is Peter who absolutely loves Jesus. And by the way, we're going to see what happens a little bit in that relationship, because remember what did Peter do just a few days ago? Denied him three times and was broken over it. Could you imagine the embarrassment when Jesus shows up? Could you imagine the, the guilt and the, the awkwardness that we all feel when we say something we shouldn't say and the other person comes around? That's probably what he's feeling. And when he realizes that it's Jesus, he's not waiting for everybody else. By the way, can I just say, when you know Jesus is speaking to you, you should not wait on anybody else. You should make a beeline to where he's at. Now, y'all say that. Can I just say that sometimes these altars are a little too empty? Love you. <laughs> but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus made breakfast for them. How nice. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Which lets us understand that this was an abnormally large catch. Jesus says to them, oh, just kidding. Oh, he does, yes. Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. There was no question let me ask you a question. How well do you know your Jesus? Do you know it when he speaks? Do you see him when he's moving? Do you feel him when he's around? These guys did. But Alan, they spent three solid years with him. Oh yeah? How long have you been a believer? And you've got something they didn't have yet. You have this spirit living inside of you that recognizes when God's moving around you, that spirit's like, hey, I know that. I know what that is. Let's go over there. And most of us are like, I don't know who you are. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Isn't that interesting? That seems like a little bit what he had already done before. 
This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I think it's interesting that it's only the third time, which tells us that he didn't hang out with them a whole lot. We naturally assume that he just spent all the time with them, but he's bouncing all over the place. We don't really have a clear record of what's going on at this time, but this is the third time that he shows up. So let's look at this little passage here. What do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we, what do, we do when things don't go as planned? Well, the disciples, they go fishing. Now, as much as I love fishing and as rewarding as fishing can be, it's not that rewarding to everyone. Ethan loves fishing. Eli says it's like watching paint dry. So polar opposites on fishing. And so it may not be fishing for you, but maybe there's something that is a go-to for you that you already knew that you can do and should do. And sometimes in those moments when nothing is going as planned, we should revert back to the right things in our life to go back to that home base. A little bit of a reset. Because if we're not careful, wandering around in the dark can cause us to be more lost than we ever were. The disciples, they just go fishing. So Jesus wants us to actively wait. Does that make sense? Actively wait? Absolutely it does. I could be waiting on Sally to come home from work and I can actively wait by going into my garage and piddling. Or I could sit and watch mindless TV that helps me none. But piddling in my garage helps me a lot because everybody else destroys it. I always put things back where they go. <laughs> right? And so there's a, there's a waiting that's a waste of time. And then there's actively waiting that is engaging and helpful and doing things that we know we should be doing even when everything else around us is not going as planned. There are lots of instances in my life where things didn't quite go the way that I wanted them to go and yet I still attempted and tried my best to maintain that level of spirituality of spirituality and growth and heading towards Christ and my eyes on him that at least kept me in a safe space until I could recognize what he was doing in this situation that didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. Now, the world says God hates you because he didn't let it go the way that you wanted it to go. God is a mean God. He's a nasty God. He's always against you because he never lets you have any fun or experience the things that you think you should be able to experience. Am I wrong? That's what the world teaches us. But the reality is that is false. God is a very loving God and God is always at work. And if we can get to the place where we are so in tune with him that when things don't go as planned, because of being so in tune with him, we can actively wait because we recognize that he's at work somewhere else. And when he's ready for me, he will call me there. But Alan, I, I've got all these talents. I don't want to be sitting on the shelf. I, I, I need to be used Hmm, really? You need to be used? Like what I did there, Charlie? Or do you just want to be used? Our need should be, I am here when you're ready for me. 
That's where we need to be. Because listen, this life is probably not going to go the way you want it to go. I appreciate the plans, and we should be properly planning. But we also should be properly flexible in the idea that God may not honor the plans that we have and may change them somewhere in there. And therefore, we need to be able to actively wait until he says, now I'm ready for you. Because that's where the disciples are at. Think about this. In John 13, this is the active part. He is speaking to them. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you who do them. Now here's why this is important. There are things in our life that we know we are called to do based on our studies in scripture. There are lots of things. I should love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's not an extra pull from the spirit of God. That's already something that I know that I'm supposed to do. So when we are at odds or we're having a little tiff or we're in that little spot, guess what I am still responsible for? To love her as Christ loved the church. Until God can work whatever it is between us out, my responsibility is to actively wait and not to shut her out, which I am so good at. That's not really meant to be funny because I really am good at it. And shame on me. Just because it didn't go my way, I'm supposed to shut the love of my life out? Come on. I'm so glad Jesus doesn't do that to me. And I know I'm not the only one that is good at that. And there's so many other things that we could throw in here. There are things that we are know we are supposed to do. When life doesn't go our way, when we don't get the things that we want, we still are responsible for the things that we know. I mean, at least the big ten, right? The ten commandments, you know what? Everybody, yes, this means yes. Okay, just make sure. Like, those are things that we don't have to wait for the Spirit of God to tell us. We already know what we are supposed to do. We shouldn't have to wait for the Spirit of God to say, hey, I need to have a conversation with you. That should be something we're doing on a regular basis. We shouldn't have to have the Spirit of God to say, hey, I need you to read my words a little bit. That's something that we already know we should be doing. In fact, we just sang a song about it. Seek first what? The kingdom and his righteousness. That's Matthew 6, 33. And all of those things that we worry about, the things that don't go the way we want them to go, will take care of themselves. But we got to seek him first. We got to actively wait. Look at these verses. In John 14, again, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I don't this is going to sound really weird, but I don't need Jesus sitting on my shoulder to continue to tell me to keep my commandments. He's already told me. It's already, it's already known within me. It's pre-programmed within me that this is what I need to be doing. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Jesus is telling these guys to actively wait. Why? Think about what he told them before he left. When I leave, my Father will send someone else to help you. Well, the Spirit doesn't fall until Acts chapter 2. There's some time that is passing here. They are doing what they are instructed to do. They are actively waiting. They are continuing to seek God while they actively wait for the Spirit, their helper, to fall. You see, you don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. And sometimes, a lot of times, he's not going to tell us until it's time for us to know. Therefore, many of you may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I've been waiting to hear from him for a while. Well, first off, he may have already been talking, you just may not have been listening. Let's be honest and real. Because we hear what we want to hear. But the second thing is, he may not be ready yet. So in the meantime, don't sit on your laurels. That's Southern for do something. Be actively waiting for God to move in your life and be active in the things that you already know you're supposed to be doing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Do what is right. Love being kind. And just walk humbly with God. Those are the things that we are called to do right now when things aren't going the way that we think they should be going. We should be actively waiting. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He wants to restore your life. Now really, this could be three separate sermons, but I'm cramming them all into one because we've got to keep moving through Matthew. But watch what happens here. As they're sitting there at breakfast... Jesus says to Simon Peter in verse 15, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Boy, that's a loaded question. Look at these other disciples that are here with us, the ones that you were just fishing with, your boys, your guys. Do you love me more than they love me? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed or tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now it's fun to note. How many times did he ask him, do you love me? How many times did he deny him? Jesus is complete in his restoration projects. Which means until we're dead, he's still restoring us to where we need to be. And he's going to keep working. And there may be times where he pauses and there may be times where he's quiet. There may be times where it's far more painful than you're willing to endure. But the reality is, if we want to be all that God created us to be, we must let his spirit restore us to our rightful place. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were uh, younger, you girded yourself And walked where you wished. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So he basically tells Peter, listen, it's, it's not going to be pretty. When you were younger, everybody took care of you. And when you're older, they're going to take care of you again. It's just going to be a little bit different. But then he said, follow me. And we'll pick up there in just a moment. But let's talk about this whole restoration thing. Because I am not so naive to know that in a church our size, I would say 90% of us have some portion of our lives that need to be restored to the Lord. If not all of us. I'm not talking large portions. Some of us may have large portions. But I'm talking about little things here and there, change of attitude, change of sightline, change of feelings and emotions about certain things. Things that can rot away the joy that Christ won for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he wants to restore your life. Listen to this. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where we want to get to. Romans is such a great letter of leading people from where they are to where God wants us to be. And this is a wonderful verse of helping you understand this is where he's wanting to restore you to. Full joy, full peace in believing that he is who he is and that you can abound in hope. How? By the power of the Spirit. That's the restoration project. That's where he wants to get us to. And he wants to do that in those little pockets of your lives that we think no one else sees, but he does. And without restoring those little pockets, you're going to continue to be a little bit in the dark. A little bit confused. A little bit misguided. Psalm 23 Such a fantastic passage. Most of you already know it, but look at what it says. Who restores my soul? He does, the great shepherd. He, he, not Facebook and all the other social media outlets. He does, not my wife. She does a really good job, but not like he does. Not my friends and my coworkers, not my children. Yes, they are joys in my life, but they are not the joy of my life. I know many of you are thinking, oh my goodness, how can he say that? Guys, listen, there are so many cliches out in the world today that we as believers have adopted that actually speak mistruth. And we need to be careful. We need to be clear on the things that we say. My family brings great joy to my life, but Jesus is the joy of my life. And we've got to be careful with these things. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Why? Because his name's on it. If I'm carrying the name of Christ, he wants me to go in his direction, to follow him, because his name is on it. What else does it say in Psalm 51? This is David's psalm. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart who committed egregious sin, committed adultery, and then had the man's or the, the woman's husband murdered basically on the field of battle but finally when he comes to his senses and God really gets a hold of his heart here's where David gets to he says create in me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me watch what he says restore to me 
The joy of your salvation. When's the last time you got super excited about being a follower of Christ? I would venture to say in a church our size, in a church our age, many of us have become complacent and comfortable with our salvation. And the joy of what we know that God did for us has kind of waned. Or else, this place might be full because your neighbors and your coworkers would see the joy of Jesus in you and might want just a taste of it. For me, this section has been the most impactful this time through. To be restored to that joy, to be restored to that passion, to be restored to where I know God wants me to be. And we all should strive to continually, daily, allowing his spirit to restore us into this place of being useful, of being joyful, of being active in our waiting for him to move. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. When God restores us and that joy is within us, it's uncontainable. It's just going to ooze out. And people are going to want to know and you're going to have the opportunity to teach and to encourage those moments. But in this time, Jesus wants your undivided attention. So we've gone from breakfast to a good, solid conversation of restoration with Peter. Peter is restored in that relationship. Not that Jesus needed that, but Peter needed that. And now they go for a walk, and this is one of my favorite sections. Verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? John, I think, has a weird sense of humor. He's describing Peter in this moment, but it seems as if maybe there's always the little competition between the two because Peter wants in there, but John's always there. And so now Peter is off by himself with Jesus and John is tagging along behind. That would annoy me. This is my conversation, my time with Jesus. Go sit down and finish your fish, right? Isn't that how we are? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Peter had just been shared with some information of how he was going to die, of what was going to take place later on. And if that's what was going to happen to Peter, the rock, the one that the church would be built on, the one that was passionate about Jesus, the one that was going after him, if that's what was going to happen to him, well, certainly the one who Jesus loved the most, the one who laid his head on his breast at supper, what's going to happen to him? Peter really probably wasn't that concerned. But watch what Jesus says to him. It's one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter was distracted from his opportunity to spend time with Christ in that moment. But he was distracted by someone who was righteous and good. But he was distracted from the thing that Christ wanted him to see the most. And Jesus simply looks at him and says, hey, 
What does it matter to you if I want John to live forever? What I need from you, Peter, is I need you to follow me. In those three little words, John, the other disciples, the many millions of people that were to come are never mentioned. Because it does not matter what everybody else is going to do. When it becomes between you and Christ, the only thing that matters is you are following him. That is what Christ is looking for from us. He wants our undivided attention. So what do we do when things aren't going as planned? How do we work that? Well, we, we actively wait. We stay in tune with what God has already called us to do and called our attention to and do what we know we're supposed to be doing. Because we don't know when he's going to call. And the cool thing about this is in those moments, if we are so focused on what is not going our way, we will miss what Christ wants for us because our attention has been divided way too many times. It doesn't matter what's happening to your friends. It does. But in this instance, it doesn't matter what God is doing with them, what he's teaching them. It's good to hear and it's good to go back and forth. But this relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, through the help of the spirit of God living in your life is between you and your creator alone. Now, I'm not asking us to be a bunch of individual people and never talk to each other about this because we do this together as a church, right? But my spiritual growth cannot be determined by Sally's spiritual growth. My spiritual growth should not determine my kids' spiritual growth. Except for the fact that I should be sharing about what God is doing within me. And if I'm not sharing, then am I really growing? Am I really experiencing the things that God has for me? I love this passage, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly. You know what that means? That means pay attention to what's going wrong. Walk around with your head on a swivel. Now, please do not leave here walking like this when you go out today, because that's going to be a little weird, and some of you might get dizzy and fall over. I, I would, right? But that's what it's talking about. Don't have blinders on so strongly that you miss what God is doing out and around you. Now, there are areas in our life where we should have blinders. But we as believers should walk circumspectly. Why? Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Leverage the opportunity to speak to your coworkers. Leverage the opportunity to speak to your neighbors. Leverage the opportunity to speak to your friends. Any person that you see that God says, hey, they may need a smile, a hug, a friendly conversation. It is time for us to actively pursue God and do what he's calling us to do. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And for our church, what is the will of the Lord? Anybody know? Micah 6, 8, do what is right all the time. Love being kind to other people and simply walk humbly with God. Seek him first and all of these things will be added nicely into our lives. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Can I just, do you really, please don't give me the Sunday school answer yes until you really think about this. 
Do you really believe that Jesus, God, in all the essences or uh, instances of your life, do you really believe that he's faithful? In all the instances of your life, when you think back over them, were you in that spot of believing that he was faithful? Because if we are honest, that is a struggle. Because the instant response when things don't go our way is, where are you, God? Shouldn't be. And hopefully we can grow out of that. And hopefully it will get us to the place where we are seeing that God is at work around us and we will actively wait in that moment until he does something spectacular. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now the day is capitalized, why? Because it's talking about the end times. As we know, as life continues to pursue and, and move along, the last days are coming, if they're not already started. But they are coming. Whether we see them or not, doesn't matter because they're going to happen. And our job is to encourage one another to speak the truth of God, of what he's doing in our lives. And maybe even in the instances where we are in a spot, we are to continue to actively wait and share what God has done for us previously. Until he moves again. Please don't sit back and be idle. Do what you know you can do for him. The things that he's already called you to do. Until he taps you on the shoulder again. I want to close with Isaiah 55. You can follow along if you want. But I'm just going to read it. Isaiah 55 is such a fantastic passage. When it's dealing with this whole idea of. What does this relationship look like? This whole restorative process, this whole, what is God trying to get to us? What is he wanting to restore in us? So I just want you to listen as I read this, because for me, this is a perfect picture of where God is trying to get us to. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. If you haven't caught it already, it's not talking about worldly things here. It's making the play that there are more beneficial, more sustenance things out there than what the world offers you. Are you catching that? This, this costs you nothing to come here and listen to me preach. Except a little time, maybe. You're here on your own volition, on your own free will. Listen to what he says. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. When God restores your life, it has the potential to speak to those who would never darken the doors of this place. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Let me tell you something this morning. There are many of us that need to leave what we're involved in and return that portion of our life back to the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So please, can we make a decision in our lives to stop trying to make sense of everything that God chooses to do, because he will choose to do them differently than you may understand. And stop getting frustrated with that. He's God. Can I just say that again? Please stop getting frustrated with him. He is God. He has the right and privilege to do things that you may not like or understand. And our responsibility is to simply say, here I am, I'm submitted to you. And the sooner we can get to that, the more joy that will be restored into our lives. For as the rain comes down in verse 10 and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes from forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When he sends the word through his spirit in your life it will prosper you. That should excite you. That should turn something within you to say, oh, that's what that means. If I read this and apply it, my life will be better. Yes, it's exactly what it's saying. That's what I've been screaming at you for the last 20 minutes. Like, there's something about seeking him first that will make your life absolutely better. But you may have to actively wait for a little while. But that's okay because he's always on the move. And he wants your undivided attention so he can do something spectacular in your life. For you shall go out with joy. Is that not why we come a lot of times to church is we want to be filled back up, right? But when we bite into the word of God and allow it to be infused into, inside of us, we can leave here with the joy. By the way, you can do that at home too. In your car, in the shower, while you're riding your bike, while you're exercising. You don't have to only experience Christ when you're at church on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. It's every day, every moment of your life because his spirit lives within you if you're a follower of God. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn uh, shall come up the cypress tree and instead the briar shall come up the myrtle tree and that shall be the Lord for a or be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Folks, it really is simple. <laughs> it's far simpler than we make it out to be. We just don't like it because it's hard. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. But actually it is. 
You see, when we come into this Christian life, we come into this walk, when things don't go the way that we think it should, it's because we bring in these expectations and these viewpoints that are so misguided that what Christ wants us to do is to actively wait as he unpacks each one of those things and resets them, restores that misguided portion of your life to the place where it really needs to be. Peter was a little misguided, but Jesus restored him, did he not? Praise God that he did, because Peter was on fire. We're going to see that in a couple of months, maybe years, I'm not sure. (laughs) But so can you. At some point, you're going to have to make the conscious choice that when things don't go as planned, I'm going to focus on Jesus. Not on the TV. Not on social media. Not on what your friends think. We're going to focus on Christ. And we're going to keep doing what we are called to do in the meantime until he is ready to use us in whatever capacity that he's preparing and restoring us to be used by. But he needs your undivided attention. Here's some questions I have for you as the praise teams come. When things don't go as planned, is turning to Jesus first on your list? And listen, I appreciate those Sunday school answers of yes, but be honest. For many of us, it's not. It is not, and it should be. And I know many of you are thinking, well, what does that look like? Does that mean I got to come to the church to talk to him? Does that mean I got to go buy a new Bible? Does that mean I got to get saved again or baptized? No. Stop what you're doing right there in the middle of it and say, God, what in the world is going on? Help me understand what's happening here. Help me to see what you're seeing that I can't see. Help me to have patience while you're working this out because obviously it's not going the way that I want it to go. But Jesus, I'm going to come to you first. Do you know why you should go to him first? Because he already knows. And he already has the answer. But who's first on your priority list to go to? Here's the second question. What part of your life is in need of restoration this morning? Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe your thought life has kind of gone downhill. Maybe it's your sight line of things that you're looking at. Maybe that needs to be restored back to a healthy standard. Maybe it's your mouth, the things that come out of your mouth, whether it's curse words or dirty jokes or just your, just a smart aleck. <laughs> Maybe that needs to be restored to be wholesome talk. Maybe it's the things that we're listening to. Maybe it's the seed of our emotions of what we get entangled with. Maybe there are deeper-seated things that maybe you need some, a good therapist. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is it this morning that God is itching to restore in your life? He's already bringing your attention to it. He's already calling it to mind. Do you know how I know that? Because I hated these kind of questions growing up. Because as soon as they were asked, I already knew the answer before the question was already asked. And man, did I try to play him off and try to think of other things. And he kept bringing them right back up. So here's what I would encourage you to do this morning. If that's the case, own it and deal with it, will you? Come talk to me. I'll be standing up here. You can come to the altar. Find somebody that you trust. But at least come to Jesus first. Here's the last question. Where's your attention today? What are you being attentive to? Or is your attention divided? 
There's lots of things to divide our attention right now. Lots. But if there's ever been a time where we as believers need to be focused on Christ, it is today. It's always today. And tomorrow, when it comes, that'll be the new today. Tomorrow's gone. I mean, excuse me, yesterday is gone. Hopefully tomorrow's not gone. That'd be weird. Actually, that'd be good. We'd all be in heaven. Woo! Praise Jesus. That'd be great. Yesterday's gone. All you have is right now. And right now is when you need to focus. Let me pray for you. God, I love you. appreciate the way that you use your word. And I know you're already working in hearts. God, never do I want to guilt people to come to you. But God, at some point, we got to start moving. We got to do something. We got to be open and honest with who we are and where we are. Lord, life never goes the way we want it to go. I pray that you would help us to submit all that to you. Help us to give you our undivided attention that you may do a great work in our hearts and in our lives. We love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.